Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, The Gift of Rest by Paula Guzman. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, ironically enough, it's been a year since I started preaching. So last year was the first time I had delivered my first sermon. So if they keep asking me back. So I think we're, we're on a roll. <laughs> All right. So let me just start off with this. Just, let's just set the tone. I just want to enter into prayer right now. So, Father, we just come before you right now. Whew, we just acknowledge you here in this room, here with us. We acknowledge your authority, your reign, your kingship here in this room. And Father, we just ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. That you would wipe away the distractions of this morning and the things that are the to-dos of today and this week. And that we would just sit here in your presence together and receive the power of your word. In Jesus' name. You know, there's a lot of pressure, like on the first of the year, you know, it's like, what are we going to preach on? And everybody seems to be like goals and resets and, you know, all the things. And as I was just kind of seeking the Lord, I was just, he was just telling me, okay, now you get to talk about rest. (laughs) Which seems counterintuitive because we've been doing these holiday seasons, like all the parties, all the things, and since we are exhausted <laughs> and where some, some of us are limping into the new year. So as I was just kind of just seeking the Lord, it was just asking, okay, why does this body need to hear about rest? And then I just started looking up some, some statistics that I just thought were interesting that I'm just going to present to you. A 2023 study by the American Psychological Association found that 76% of American workers experienced at least one symptom of burnout in the past year. And this is all since the pandemic time. So that means 75% of us who have jobs are experiencing some level of exhaustion, some level of fatigue. It's this, and so um, common causes include work-life imbalance, heavy workloads, lack of control, insufficient resources, unclear expectations. Does does this resonate with anyone? Okay, all right, so I'm talking to you guys. (laughs) It's linked to decreased productivity, increased absenteeism, higher healthcare costs, and employee turnover. It manifests in a lot of different ways. Physical symptoms, exhaustion, feeling constantly drained, depleted of energy, unable to fully rest. How many of you have just tried to rest and you just can't get it? You're just so exhausted that no amount of sleep, no amount of time away refreshes you. Anybody? All right. See? Okay, there we go. Headaches, muscle shentons, digestive issues. I'm going into detail because I really want you guys to understand this is you and why this is (laughs) This is pertinent for you. (laughs) Changes in sleep patterns, difficulty falling asleep, waking up frequently, excessive sleepiness can be indicative of burnout. Some emotional symptoms, cynicism and negativity, depersonalization, feeling with emotionally withdrawn, numb, disconnected, reduced sense of accomplishment, losing confidence in your skills, questioning your competence, feeling like your work doesn't matter. Anyone? <laughs> Behavioral symptoms, decreased productivity and performance, difficulty concentrating, procrastinating, making mistakes at work, withdrawal from social interactions, changes in substance use, increased reliance on alcohol, caffeine, or other substances. All right, so who relates to this? Am I the only one? <laughs> so who needs some rest? If you I say amen if you need some rest. Amen, all right. So I've got some great news for you. Our loving and oh-so-generous God knew that we would need rest and not only modeled it for us, he created an appointed time for it and gave us practical tools to implement it. 
sigh of relief should be coming into this room. We have a problem here, and he has come forth and created a solution for us. He is such a good God and so practical. Here's the beauty of it. He is mystical, all-powerful, and knowing, and beyond our understanding, and yet at the same time, so practical and walking us, let me show you how to do this. And it's both. And we can embrace both in whatever place that we're at. So if you're exhausted or fatigued, or if I just described you in any way, I want to speak there's hope and rest and refreshment for you today. So actually, I'm going to change this thing a little bit. So before we actually go with the rest is, let's first define what are we resting from. So the first mention of work, right, that's kind of the first thing that, that we're doing is work, is mentioned in Genesis uh, 2, 1 through 3. It's like, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in to create. So in that work, uh, the Hebrew word is melakah, which is occupation, workmanship, service, and business. So that was what he was doing. So we, we over, we will read Genesis 1 and 2 and we'll fly right through it. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah, of course he needs rest. He's like, no, no, no. He is setting the tone and the foundation of what rest is. He is setting the tone of the rhythm of our lives. So I want to make go back to Genesis 1. Just I'm just going to do a quick summary of it. It's a creation story, right? So day one, the universe begins as a formless void with darkness and water. God speaks light into existence, separating it from darkness. Day and night are established, marking the first evening and morning. Now, in Genesis 1, here's one of the things when I first started learning about what Sabbath or even the established order of God is that the day starts in the evening and then it's morning. Evening and morning. Evening and morning. Culturally, what are we told? It starts at 5 a.m. because, you know, we're high producers. Here in America, we are high achievers. We are called, we're, you know, we're going to go getters. We're going to do it. We're going to cost, you know, because it's all on us. We're going to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and all this stuff. According to Genesis 1, we've been doing some things a little bit out of order. Because one of the most actually impacting things of me of knowing is as we continue and I'll continue expanding on this, is that the evening is the beginning of the day. And the day is the middle, the morning is the middle of the day. So even in this shift, what's going on in the evening? We're shutting down, we're closing down, and while we're, and to fall asleep. And as we fall asleep, the beginning of the day, he is actively working on our behalf. Then we wake up in the middle of the day and morning to do our part of the work. So whose responsibility is it to start the day? It's the Lord's, not us. But we've been living in a culture and a country and, and telling us it's all about us. It's all about, you know, pushing through. It's all working hard. But that wasn't the order that he established. So it's time to put things back in order. Because here's the other thing. If we're suffering fatigue and discouragement and exhaustion, as the body of Christ, as the people that represent the risen Christ, why are we experiencing the same thing as the world? Why? I want to let that sit on us for a little bit. We continually want to see a move of God and we want to do this and this, but we continue to be subject, we're subjected to the same things of the world. But our generous and good God has given us things to help us combat the things that are coming at us at all times. 
So when this culture says we're going to continue, we're going to do hustle culture, we're going to work, you know, till we drive ourselves, you know, down to the bone to get our millions or whatever it is, it displaces the order of the way the Lord intended us to live. So we got day two. So that was day one <laughs> of him setting order of the day. He creates and expands the waters above and below. He, he the, creates the sky. He separates heavenly realms. Day three, he gathers water below to form dry land, revealing the earth. He makes the vegetation, all kinds of plants. God declares good. Everything is good for the first time. Then he creates the heavenly bodies, and then he the sun to rule the day and the moon and the night. He establishes their measuring times and seasons and days. If at day five, he fills waters with living creatures, swimming creatures, and flying birds in the sky. He blesses them and commands them to be fruitful and multiply. God declares his creation good as well. Day six, he creates land animals of every cattle, creepy things, wild beasts. He creates humans. He grants them dominion over the earth and its creatures, commanding them to be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, eat plants for food. After surveying everything that he's made, it is very good. And then on the seventh day, after his creative work, he blesses the seventh day, sets it apart as holy, and enters into this rest. Now I'm going to read this again with the context of all the things that he did. Remember, he's modeling the order of things. He's creating earth, he's establishing order in it, and then modeling what he did on the last day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because of, on it God rested from all that work that he had done to create. So what makes us feel like we're the exception from rest? Rest is our God-given authority to walk in and practice through, the, through what he has provided. And when he said rested, it's a Hebrew word, is sabbat, which is to cease, desist, rest, to put an end to. So he is going out and creating. He's going out and establishing order. He's going out and doing this. And then all of a sudden, he stops. He stops doing that. So that's the work. And then the first mention of work for man so God established everything, then he modeled rest. Then he put man to work in, uh, let's see, Genesis 2.15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. So all of us moving forward, we all have a mandate of working and keeping the things that we have been entrusted in. Again, remember, work is occupation, workmanship, service, business. So every single one of us is called to work. Work is a good and holy thing. It's, a, it's an act of, of um, it's our calling. One of our, you know, to be who we are and cultivate the land that we're on, cultivate the relationships that we're in, cultivate the workplace where we actually get paid, cultivate the families that we have established. There is work for each of us to be done. None of us is the exception. So again, Work is a good, holy thing. It's just been put out of order for so long. So what's the purpose of work? In kingdom theology, we live off of the basis that Jesus is king in all areas of our life, including our work life. And that might seem abstract, and we think, oh, yes, we go to church on Sunday, and we're going to be good on this day, you know, and all this stuff. But we take the authority of Jesus, his kingship, into our homes, into our private lives, into our relationships, into the work that we're called to do. His authority, and we get to walk and partner with him in it. He is Lord in my house. He is Lord in my business. He is Lord in my friendships that I have entrusted friendships. He is Lord in my family. And we get to work together 
I get to tend and cultivate each of those spheres. Each of us have those kinds of spheres that we are all called to work. We, in kingdom theology, we believe he has good works for us to complete. Ephesians 2.10, or we are, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So work, again, what is work? This is what we're defining as what is work. And as, as we're discussing kingdom theology and how it's applicable in our daily lives, we recognize that we are the workmanship of him. And then he has called us to create things on his behalf. He has called, we believe that he has called us to partner with him to accomplish his plans and purposes through us. That's work. Or it's our work here on this earth is to cultivate and tend the things that he has called us to prepare to do. So we are living Christ's life after him. We are emulating Jesus. We're inviting him in. We're being transformed in him. And we're walking and following what he's doing in every sphere in our lives. That's work. And work is good. It's not the nine to five. It's not the, you know, it's not um, just getting paid, checking out. We take ownership of that hourly job. We take ownership of washing those dishes. We take ownership of dressing those kids or bathing them or cleaning those things. There is an ownership and there's an authority that each of us get to walk out in every day that's holy and has been given to us to establish his kingdom on earth. It's in the small and in the practical. And don't get me wrong. Yes, we will, we will talk about, you know, supernatural and all of that stuff. But we forget and we minimize that the cultivation of this faith starts in literally washing dishes, literally showing up and cleaning, literally showing up and loving the person that's unlovable to you. You want healing and revival and all of that stuff? What are you doing in the faithfully tending the work that you've been assigned to today? How are you going to be entrusted with spiritual things if you can't be entrusted with the things in front of you? Work is good. And each of us has been assigned something to work and tend and cultivate. And as we continue to walk in this identity in Christ, if we, we continue to partner, here's the thing, we get, to con- we get to partner when we accept him and we Make him Lord of our life. We have a direct invitation from the creator of the universe whose everything was created in him, through him, for him. That power, that dunamis power is within us, each of us. That spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in us to walk out good works. So there is nothing too small for us to do to be able to create and relate his identity into the environment that we're in. So Chris Velaton has given me one of the best, one of my favorite quotes. It's that if you put a pauper in a palace, they will reduce the palace to a prison. But if you put a prince in a, into a prison, they will transform the prison into a place, into a palace. Here's the thing. Work is good. Work is a holy thing. And we do have, and then we have to ask ourselves, what is our work? We take on more than we need to. There's pressure to say yes to everything. But we have to be able to discern what is our work and how can I give my all to it? How can I be faithful to tend to and cultivate it and let it grow and let it be healthy? And it doesn't matter if you're a janitor or an executive. A janitor that has an identity in Christ will create a kingdom culture in that, in that environment. That mom just trying to stay alive with the keeping the babies alive <laughs> is creating a kingdom culture, being faithful and changing diapers. The single person still trying to figure out their lives and their budgets and all of this stuff. They're trying to invite Jesus into that, into their lives. 
That's kingdom culture. And you get to transform it. And that is a work that's good. So as I list off the purpose of work, so I just, I want to, I want you guys to understand what is actual work? Because we've been told that, you know, again, I'm trying to slow us down from this wholesale culture and from saying yes to everything. And I'm saying, what is the design of work? And what's the purpose of work? So as I'm reading out this list, I want you guys to think, what is your work? Spouse? And I know it's, it can be, you know, but you have to work together. You're working on your relationship. Children, maintenance of home, friends, actual paying job, any volunteer jobs. What are the areas in where you're serving, where you have influence, where you're cultivating and tending your life? So this is where you work. And the purpose of that is we get to reflect God's creativity. So remember Genesis 1, he's creating, he's, uh, he's actively creating and shaping the world. Humans made in God's image are called to participate in this creative process through their work. So you have an issue with a child, you know, you get to ask the Holy Spirit and partner with him and he gets to give you creative solutions on how to deal with that child. You are a janitor, I've been a janitor before, you know, and you, there's a stain there or, you know, you're giving your whole, you know, uh, trying to find solutions of how to make it more efficient. You know, you ask the Lord, you, you, you partner with him, and he gives you solutions to create the things that you're empowered to do in that job. There's a partnering of that. We get to be, each of us were made cre- and created very differently, and each of us were created in specific areas. I was not created to be in customer service. <laughs> <laughs> But I was created to to create uh, operations and systems and processes. And so people come to me with their problems of how to make things efficient in their business and things like that. And I can come up with ideas left and right and creativity. Why? Because I have tapped into the way I was created and I connect with him. And then he gives me the ideas and solutions to impact those that want to. When I need to learn to have a hard conversation and actually be nice about it, I talk to my friends first. Help me. <laughs> or, in the, you know, the Lord, I have fear of the Lord because I, that person is God's creation, right? And then I partner with other people, and then they help me have a hard conversation in a loving, kind way. That's kingdom, and that's work. That's getting to express God's creativity. We're fulfilling God's mandate. He entrusts us. Here's the thing. He entrusts you. You have a wife. You have a children. You have a home. You have a job. He's entrusted you with this. He trusts you with this. He trusts you with that business. He trusts you with that position. He trusts you with that job. He trusts you with that spouse. He trusts you with those children. And we get to be stewards of that. We're providing for ourselves and others. So importance of work, so our basic needs and those of others, it... um, Proverbs 22, 29, encourages diligence, skillfulness in work, ensuring one's own provision and the ability to contribute to the community. I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoy living a life in where I, when I can provide for myself and provide for my friends and be generous with people that need it. And that part of that is a life testimony of God. It's like I get to give and I get to partner and I get to be with people with, with, because of the work that I've done. And we should take a pleasure in that. And expressing gratitude and service. Colossians 3.23 reminds us to work as, as for the Lord and not simply for earthly masters. This perspective imbues us work with a sense of sacredness and an opportunity to express gratitude for God's provision and serve him through our skills and effort. So this is where that nine to five, whether the little side hustle you have, whatever you do, You're doing things unto him and not your boss that can annoy you or can frustrate you and not to your pastor or to the staff or to whoever, but you're doing things unto the Lord and showing a sense of thankfulness and gratefulness. Because even if you're, because I don't know about you guys, I have tons and tons of, of testimonies of when I was mistreated and then I've just, I was like, oh, I don't work for that person. I work for him. 
And he actually gives me ideas to be nice to this person (laughs) and thus opening the door to their hearts for the gospel. So because if, but if I concentrated and my work was on this boss, I'd want to quit or I'd get frustrated or I'd get burnout and I'd get, you know, want to walk away. But we're challenged to have a kingdom perspective to see what our role to tend and cultivate in that environment, no matter what the environment is. Going back to that Chris Valentine quote, if I had this nightmare of a boss and I've had him, I get to choose whether I'm going to continue living in a palace or feel like I'm going to live like a slave. That's kingdom theology. I get to decide to partner with that or I get to be the victim and complain about my boss all the time. Which one's more kingdom focused? Which one's going to bring life? Work develops our character and skill. Uh, Proverbs 6, 6, 11 describes the ant as a model of diligence and perseverance, qualities cultivated through honest work. We're molded and formed by jobs. So, I, you know, when people see me, so for those of you who know, I own a couple of businesses that are financially related. I teach people how to invest in the stock market, and then I teach people how to have a healthy perspective on money. And then, uh, so anyway, so it's just very finance-focused. And so when people see me, they see order, they see diligence, they see, you know, all of this stuff. And they're like, oh, well, I can't be like you. And I always tell them, I'm like, had you met me 20 years ago, I was this go-with-the-flow, hippie tendencies, didn't know when a bill was paid or due, acquired a lot of debt and credit cards because, you know, all the things. And what you see here 25 years later is getting jobs that force me to be administrative, that force me to grow in areas that I needed strengthening in so that later on I could actually handle the calling that I had on my life. I wasn't planning on being this financial person ever, but I kept saying yes to him in the jobs that he'd asked me to do. And even if they were like, Killing me. I know in this culture, we're like, follow your heart. And, you know, that's, all, you know, all the things. But we follow him. And when we follow him, there's grace. There's grace upon grace to do the work at hand. I was not a naturally administrative person. I had to learn how to do that. When I started managing people, I kept hurting people's feelings because of my directness. So I had to learn to be nice. I had to learn to be thoughtful with my words. I don't get to just excuse myself for being just in the name of being, but these are opportunities to grow and cultivate and, and, and um, cultivate this character so that I can go on and be stewards, a steward of something greater than myself. You would have, had you even told me four years ago I would have been managing what I've managed now, I would have thought you were crazy. But it was from the diligence of work and where I allowed my character to be formed. And it takes work and a lot of energy. So there's good news. If you find that you have allowed any of these things to rob you of your joy of working, today you have the opportunity to repent and start anew. Now, I know repenting has a, you know, trigger word or whatever, but repenting really is changing direction. Changing direction. Because work is a gift. Work is an honor. Work is a joy. And I know it may not feel like that all the time, and I'm not telling you to follow your emotions, but if you're obedient to the Lord and you've been entrusted with that job and you bring him and invite him in there, there will be grace to find that joy. There will be grace to find the delight of the Father in the midst of that. So today is a good morning for new mercies. So that is what actual work is supposed to be. It's hard. It can be challenging. It's not easy. And from all of the things that we're, so we're trying to, you know, so here's the thing. We're trying to model God's uh, creativity. We're trying to be diligent. We're trying to help people. We're trying to cultivate. That's work. That's a lot of work. I'm tired. (laughs) And then he modeled rest. That's why rest is so important. We have been given a lot of things to do on this side of earth. Each of us have been given an assignment to do. But we need rest. We need rest. 
So my former roommate, so I'll give you a little bit of history of me. Um, I used to work a corporate job that very easily I would work 50 hours without even sweating, without even, you know, and then if it was really time to push, I'd push it up to 60 hours. And then there were times I'd leave my home at 5.30 in the morning and then get home at 10 p.m. at night. And I would do that almost every day. And if I wasn't doing that, I was going out with friends. So I was highly social and I was very driven. Then I, had, then I got a roommate six years ago. And she would, every Friday, we would joke, and we'd never see each other. Only time we saw each other would really be on Saturday mornings because Fridays I was always out. So, um, ah, so Friday nights, as I'm passing through the kitchen, because you have to go through the kitchen to get to my garage, she'd be at the table with two little tea lights and a little cracker and juice. And she's like, hey, would you like to take, you know, observe the Sabbath with me? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'm too busy. I'm just, I'm going to go. But yeah, I'll do Sabbath tomorrow. It's going to be, she's like, okay, great. And for about like, two years, I declined this invitation. And for two years, she kept asking me every Friday. It didn't matter. Okay, it's available. It's available. And finally, I was just like, huh, maybe I think I was tired. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? And then she was like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing this thing. And I was like, okay, well, let me sit down. And I was like, well, tell me about it. And so that's when my whole world changed. And that's where she was teaching me, God established divine order, right? Genesis 1. The concept of the evening being the beginning of the day helped me shift into rest for me. Here's the thing. Um, it's inferred, you know, obviously, is that the first thing God wants you to do is spend time with your family Eat and go to sleep. That sounds like a very nurturing and loving and tender God. And I was like, that was really like powerful. I was like, oh, he wants me to sleep. He wants me to, you know, so someone that's a high performer, high doer. For the first time in my life, I was given permission to enjoy the people around me, to eat food with them and then go to sleep. He established this day on the seventh day. So I, I think we've talked about before what a Moad is. This is an appointed time. He has appointed times for things. And then she taught me about, you know, how Exodus 16.23 was the first application of Sabbath, and it was about food. It was a reminder of God being our provider. Exodus 28.11, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. And what I liked about this, so remember is zakar, just to remember, call to mind, to be, be brought to remembrance. You're like, oh, okay. So we're called to now remember what he's done. And so introducing him into rest that's the thing. We like to compartmentalize a lot of things. You know, like God's here, and then this is my rest time. This is my personal time. But he's actually inviting you into the process. Leviticus 23.3, six days you shall work. Uh, work shall be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Deuteronomy 5.12, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded. What I liked about this is the word keep, shamar, is to guard, give heed. So it's now he's asking you to trust him as your provider and to guard this time and set it apart. And so I've just been quoting you all in an obscure Old Testament, right? Then now we're going to transition into New Testament. So what is a New Testament? say about the Sabbath. And in Matthew 12, it talks about how they were in the grain fields and then the disciples came. It was a Sabbath. They got the wheat and the Pharisees were like, la, 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 la. And then Jesus comes and says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It goes back to our kingdom theology where he is king 
of every dominion of our lives. He is king. He is Lord of rest. Jesus is rest. So in kingdom theology, Jesus reigns over the Sabbath. And then in Mark 2, 27, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In kingdom theology, Jesus provided this space for man to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty, 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In kingdom theology, we're invited by the king himself to come to him and rest. I'm going to repeat that one more time. The king himself is inviting each of us to come and rest. It's an invitation. You can decline the invitation. We have declined the invitation in many areas of our lives. And the fruit of that is that whole exhaustive list that I read before. Today is an opportunity of saying yes to this invitation. He's a living, breathing king that provides generously for the things that we need. And rest is still a promise. It's not this Old Testament thing. It's this promise of today. So what does it take to practice the Sabbath? It takes faith. In this culture, it takes faith. When everybody's telling you you're missing out on things, you got to do this thing, you got to do this, you got to do that, you have to be highly aware of what your work, your spheres, your work is, and then you actually have to say no to things. And you're going to have to say, create boundaries. Because you're going to have to entrust the Lord that if I miss this birthday party, if I miss this event, or if I do this because I'm sacrificing rest to do these things, It takes faith to say, God, I trust you with the time that you've allotted me. It's even the same concept of, you know, I don't want to go there. We won't go there. (laughs) Um, It takes more faith to know that you're called to the work that you're called for six days and then rest for this one and entrust him with that one. And one of the most practical ways you can show God or please God is by faith. And part of that is even with this Sabbath is resting and trusting him. So one of the things that I've done is when I start the process, God, I, anything that's pending from the past week, any relationship that needs to be tended to, any this, any work, because, you know, if you're a small business owner, there's going to 24-7, like, you're going to be harassed. I trust you to carry this for this sacred moment so I can connect with you and find rest. That takes faith. Because every business book or everything is telling you, you got to attend that business, you got to attend, you got to, do, you know, talk to your customers, you got to make them happy, you got to, you know, all of this stuff. It takes faith to shut down and say, I'm going to connect with the king of the universe today. I'm going to set this time apart. That takes an enormous amount of faith. It takes intention. The world around you will be telling you all the reasons not to rest. It takes practice letting go of our responsibilities for a period of time and trusting God to hold it for us while we spend time with him. Did I mention it takes faith as a performer? As a high performer and a high doer and all the things that I'm in, in charge of, it takes a lot of faith to do this. But I decide, I've decided to mark a line in the sand for the last five years and say, I will commit to this rest. I will commit to connecting with you. I will commit to shutting it down to rest and be refreshed. And I... And because it's God and because it's kingdom, I've actually been entrusted with more. And the stress of it, I've been able to manage it. 
Why? Because of this day that I choose to take for rest. What can happen when you start being intentional about rest? Well, you get to connect with the Father. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. I go through my whole week before I enter this rest. Okay, what could I have done differently? What could I have improved? What have? And then all he does is like, hey, I'm so proud of you. I love you. Get some rest. And it's a fight that I've had to battle because here's the thing. I've been doing the, I've been observing the rest for five years and I'm still terrible at it. Why? Because, because our culture is so against it in my drivenness, but it takes my death to rest, to lay it down. But I get to connect with him and he gives me a different perspective. You gain your perspective from this week in kingdom theology where we're asking, God, where are you moving in my life? Where are you, Lord, in my life? Where have I made you, Lord? Where have I not made you, Lord? Those are serious questions that we get to ask every week and examine ourselves. And we get to repent and we get to connect with him and he gets, gives us refresh. He's always so good at refreshing. He's always so good at giving us a million chances. You get to enjoy the day with things that refresh your soul. When was the last time you guys did that? What refreshes your soul? I go on walks, I read. I'll spend time with friends. You experience his rest and his peace. You gain vision for the next week. And our hearts, mind, and body are protected from fatigue. So I want to make a couple of disclaimers first, because I'm gonna we're gonna transition into entering rest corporately. <laughs> this is just one way to do this. So because the Lord is amazing and He's very practical with me, and I'm a very tangible person. He's provided ways to enter into rest through ceremony and ritual through the Jewish culture. Do you need to do this? No. Will you, you know, is you missing out? No, it's going to be a heart position. It's a heart position for the Lord. Like, like he even rebuked the Pharisees. Like, if somebody needs help, go help them. If you're hungry, go, go make food. You know, go get it. It's not the end of the world. But it's the heart posture before him of entering his presence and entering rest. This is simply just a, a um, physical experience for us to experience together. Okay? There's nothing holy about it. There's not like you have to do it this way. It is just merely a mechanism for us to experience something corporately and very practically. Okay? So who wants rest? <laughs> so one of the ways that we take rest, and I do a Shabbat meal and I invite people over and I take them through this whole process, is we start off by lighting of the candles. And in lighting of the candles... <clears throat> So in Jewish tradition, there's two candles for observation and remembrance. So you're remembering God's work and you're, um, you're rehearsing this rest for yourself. So remembrance and rehearsal. So it's already setting the tone of when you enter in the evening. So on Friday, you don't have to do this Friday evenings either. You can do it whenever you want. I want to give you guys complete freedom. Like, okay, I don't, I'm not here to tell you this is how you have to do it. But I'm trying to just invite you into this process and get you to physically feel and physically come and enter corporately and individual together. Does that make sense? Okay. So traditionally, the woman of the house will begin lighting the candles. And this is going to set the tone to enter into rest. You're drawing a line of demarcation. This was work. This is all the things, you know, all the busyness, all the this, all the that. And so you start off and drawing a line. So, Father, we are choosing to close out this week and this day. We're remembering the work of your hands. We thank you for the work that you've given us to do. We thank you for any lack any lack, any area where I've messed up, any area where I'm stressed out about, anything that's hanging over my head, 
I hand it over to you. And I trust you. I will not worry about it. I will not stress about it. I will trust you to hold that business, hold that relationship, hold those finances. Hold it for me. So even right now, release the things that are weighing on you right now. Release the things that are causing stress. We have created a line right now. The second thing that we do, we're going to enter communion together. But in the Shabbat dinner, we're thanking him for his provision through bread. So, Father, we thank you for your abundant provision. We thank you for the food that you've provided. We recognize the work of your hand. And we thank you for the breaking of your body so that we can enter into the holiest of holies and rest. Each of you have received provision, so we get to thank him today. You want to put up a Psalm 23 for me? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Our cups overflow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And with the shedding of his blood, we have access to him. We have become his pure bride. So we're going to take communion together. And we're going to do this a little differently. I'm going, to, I'm going to break off a piece of this hollow bread and give it to you. And then we have uh, grape juice here for you guys to take. Uh, Lauren and uh, Alan, if you guys can come. We're going to break off a generous piece of this and give it to you. And then come, come to the front and then take the elements. And then we're going to take it together and we're going to corporately enter into rest together. This is not your typical communion, right? <laughs> you don't have to eat all of it, but this is just an experience. So, Father, we're going to enter your rest. We're going to entrust you with the works of our hands. We're going to trust you with our provision. We're going to trust you with our relationships. And we give you thanks. And again, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the access. And we honor you and we recognize you as Lord, as King over every sphere of our lives. And we can enter in this rest together. And take the cup. And Father, I thank you for your abundant provision of this bread. Your abundant provision. We thank you for this, your generous provision. And we continue to acknowledge the breaking of your body so that we can enter into fellowship with you. We remember this as we enter rest. In Jesus' name, take it. So stay in this rest position.
even today. Ask him how you can rest today. How can you incorporate rest in your life today? He is a good God who has created each of you to do your some cultivate and tend something here on this earth and to partner with you. But he knows you need rest. He knows you need rest. He know your body needs rest, your mind and your soul needs rest. And we get that rest through Jesus. If you still need prayer for any additional thing, we have our ministry team. If you guys want to come up and need additional prayer. But I just want us just to remember this as we've entered corporately into his rest and to let our hearts be refreshed. If we need a new perspective on something, if we need a new word, come get prayer or even ask him right now. We're in a perfect place of rest. We're in a perfect place of his presence to be refreshed and renewed. That is his promise to us. He says, come, I will give you rest for your souls. That's not something we have to conjure up, but we just have to say yes to the invitation. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us, and raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.